doing the work. Um, I've been I've been dancing a lot more just to like get my mood up, you know, just just dancing around a little. Yeah, and the shame is just leaving my body with every day I get older. Hey, I'm Erica and I'm Alex and this is No Rhyme or Refill, a poetry and pints podcast. To get started, let's crack open a beer and a book. All right. All right. We've got okay. a, a beer to share today. I do. Cool. Due to our sound so. issues, you've probably drank most of it by now. <laughs> I've been good, trying to go slow, but I might oh, text you did Derek really and good. have me bring, bring me another one. Um, so <laughs> today's beer is the Crisper Knockout Dry Hopped Pilsner from Ology Brewing. Knockout and Pilsner is a surprise together. <laughs> yeah. So um, I picked this up literally just because it has double helixes on it, which is fun for a can mm-hmm. of mine. So yeah, I picked up this beer because I like the can colors. It's like a navy and coral. And then also it had double helixes on it, which we love. Science. Yeah. We believe in science. We love and hate jeans. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> And also, it's kind of funny because Pilsners are notoriously very crispy beers. You know, like a Miller Lite is a Pilsner. Um, and the, so you'll like call Pilsners like crispy boys or whatever. And a crisper is a, I told myself I was going to look it up, but it's a centrifuge that's used in like DNA extraction, correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like people are really up in arms about it. Because you can, like, change the genes with it. Oh. But they're only doing it in really small doses for, like, things because, um, yeah, you know, a lot of people are really freaked out by that kind of thing. But it could help a lot of, like, cancers and stuff if we decide to. Yeah. Yeah. According to NewScientist.com, CRISPR is a technology that can be used to edit genes and, as such, will likely change the world. That's propaganda. See? Your Alex was completely yep. right. But CRISPR uh, <laughs> finds a specific bit of DNA, and then um, there's a gene editing that can take place. So, yeah. I don't know if Derek's just aware of CRISPR or if he actually utilized the CRISPR method. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so but, it's a method, too. That's good. Yeah. I don't know that. So... It says the CRISPR method was unveiled in 2012, but it took years and cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. But it, uh, CRISPR, a technology, has made it cheaper and easier to perform the CRISPR method. Uh, yeah. But anyways, <laughs> CRISPR knockout. It's a play on words. We love puns. We we, we believe in science and we love puns. The tag we love words. We love science. <laughs> Um, this is no rhyme or <laughs> Uh So the basics about the beer, it came in a four-pack of 16-ounce cans. It is 5.25% alcohol, and Ology Brewing is uh, based out of Tallahassee, Florida. Um, I looked on their website, and it's a very pared-down website. It doesn't have a ton of, like, it doesn't have, like, an About Us page or anything like that. Um, or at least not the one I opened, but they had a lot of ways that you could do like curbside pickup and order your beer remotely. So that's cool. Um, nice. But their description of this beer is extremely crisp and refreshing. 
Uh, this clean pilsner is brewed with all pilsner malt for light flavors of honey, bread, and grain. Um, and then we hit it with a slow dose of dry hops, which this batch was Kazbek hops, which is a type of hop I've never heard of before. But it's uh, very, like, slightly spicy and very citrusy. And cool. So as one would hope for a crisper, it, or for a crisper, <laughs> for a pilsner, it's extremely clear and, like, just distinctly yellow. Yeah. Um, and it's also... Like it has a little bit of head on it when you pour it in the glass, but not a ton. Uh, and it's really good. Like, um, it's if you took a Miller Lite and extracted water, like if you took any Pilsner that you're thinking of and extracted water so that it had a more concentrated flavor, um, mm-hmm. and really has those like bready notes to it, like that's definitely what you get. And um, as we've talked about before on the podcast, dry hopping is when, like, the beer is finished. In this case, um, it's, like, when the beer is finished and it's cooled down, you put hops Mm -hmm. in. And so the hops release a different form of um, oils, which gives it different notes. So when you're wet hopping, you can extract some of the, like... um, more bitter notes of a hop but when you dry hop that's when you'll end up with some of those like fruitier more citrusy uh notes as opposed to the bitterness cool Um, yeah is it um like a low abv like most pilsners it's pretty it's in the craft beer world it's pretty low abv it's 5.25 percent so yeah you know you could have one or two of them no problem but you know it's not a i think miller lights are like 4.5 percent right (laughs) these guys are low yeah but i really like it because it has that like really crispy fresh super light on your palate taste but then it finishes with a little bit of the like citrusy note kind of like a citrus peel like an orange peel vibe so uh-huh. you're you feel like you're drinking a fancier beer as opposed to like I love a Miller Lite, I love a PBR, but sometimes when they finish, especially if you have like more than two or three, you can have that I don't know, it reminds me of when you eat like drink something that's too sugary and it's like just kind of a lingeringness yeah. in your mouth. Yeah. Um, which I guess the same thing happens if you eat a lot of bread. It's like that like yeasty uh bready floweriness kind of like just rests in your mouth a little bit but i feel like the citrus cuts through that so it's like you finish your sip and the what's left over is like a citrus vibe instead of like a bready sugary vibe that's the kind of pilsner i need to be drinking then yeah because i hate that taste i hate it it reminds me of like when you get in bed and you're just like chilling for a while and then you really need to brush your teeth and you like taste it but you don't want to get out you know Mm -hmm. it's like that similar kind of like linger yeah yeah it's rough cool (laughs) yeah so it's a really tasty beer and as i was like looking for a little more information about the style with like a dry hopped pilsner one thing i came across is that um apparently italian style pilsners tend to be dry hopped and so, like, there was um, 
Uh, I'm trying to find what beer it was. So like um, German style pilsners end at the like malt process and then they're normally like cold fermented. And Mm -hmm. that's what makes them really like crispy and light and refreshing. And then Italian pilsners will use dry, like the dry hopping technique. I found this article that says one, how one beer, uh, one beer birthed an American crop of Italian style pilsners. It's a (laughs) beer that none of us have heard of, but it's apparently like the Burrifico Italiano Tipo, Tipo Pils, which is brewed in a small Italian town. And yeah, it was like 2019 was when oh wow um, okay yeah this article came out and people were getting more inspired to do which i know i've seen a couple of italian style pilsners like in the um beer store so the bottle shop so we're still coming up with new beers we are yep (laughs) and then as just a before i give my beer rating as just a fun fact googling crisper dry hopped beer or dry hopped pilsner i came up with a science daily article from 2018 and apparently scientists used crisper technology to modify yeast so that it has flavor components of hops instead of you actually having to use hops in your beer you could just use specialty yeast that would give it the note of like orange blossom or fruit loops without having to use hops. Wow. So wait, are they still doing that process? You know, or I think it was just an experiment. Um, it gotcha. was at UC Berkeley, but their justification for conducting the experiment was that um they like hops just require a lot of water like they're kind of a difficult agricultural crop they take a lot of water there's you know we've talked about on the podcast before there's like all the chaos with hop contracts and hop shortages and everyone wants to use this hop this year but you have to sign a contract to have like buy their stock for like four years or whatever so i think it was just like a is this a more environmentally friendly to make way to make beer like if we can modify these yeasts to have the same flavor profiles without the negative like without any off flavors and they were apparently successful like gmo right yeah it's like yeah yeah so, wow yeah it says they added genes from mint and basil and used the mm. yeast to brew a beer that taster said had notes of fruit loops and orange blossom with no off flavors all so, right yeah i just oh, imagine how much yeah no that's really like imagine how much the world would change if that was like a technology people used even just for beverages yeah it'd be crazy but yeah sorry for the anyways <laughs> yeah no you're fine all i do is yawn all day long yeah so yeah what's your rating for this okay. so because pilsners aren't my favorite style of beer even though i do enjoy pilsners most of the time they're normally mm-hmm. like what i go to when i specifically want a light beer not necessarily when i want any beer um 
But also because I know that because Pilsners are like so clear and crisp and like have a really clean flavor, it's you really can't mm-hmm. hide behind a lot. I give this beer a 4.1 out of 5 because it is a, a between a 3.9 and a 4.1. It's a very solid beer. And I recognize the like skill that it takes to create a pilsner. Yeah. Um, and I would definitely have this again. But I'm also like, I don't know if I could tell the difference between this pilsner and another dry hopped pilsner. So today it, we're going to do a book that um, I've had for a while and have enjoyed for a while. Um, it's called Horsefly Dress by. Heather Cahoon, and it's published by the University of Arizona Press. Yeah, 2020, so it's pretty new. This book I'm super excited to do because I've seen Heather read in Missoula a couple of times, and she just knocked my socks off, which is a phrase we should all bring back. And I love that phrase. Yeah? You still use it? I still use it all the time. Yeah, but Heather Cahoon actually got her MFA from the University of Montana a while ago. Um, but now she also has her PhD and is an assistant professor of Native American Studies at UM. So I wish I would have taken one of her classes now that I've seen her read and speak. So she is a member of the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes, which is the land we're on and nearby. Yeah, so she's writes a lot about grief and i'll read a little bit more of her bio here so she grew up on the flathead indian reservation in western montana and she was a longtime advocate for sustainable reservation economies and social and civil justice for tribal members so i was listening to some interviews from her earlier and she since she did a PhD and still has to research as a professor in the university. She's kind of really deep in research. And so um, one of the stories is about coyote. They have various versions. And she didn't. She basically didn't know that coyote had a daughter um, called horsefly dress. And so she spent her time like trying to find all the stories possible about horsefly dress. And There's not a lot, she said, but she's still, and so she kind of uses this as a way to connect to her past and tell her stories as well as the stories that are like thousands of years old by her people. That's so so cool. Yeah. And she was talking about like how a lot of these poems are actually just dreams she had, which is awesome because they're like really beautiful (laughs) dreams. She has a lot of trust in herself as a writer and just seems very sure of herself. She said she would write down the poem in, like, whatever form it kind of first came in is typically the form she keeps it in, which is just, like, wild. (laughs) Like, I am not a good enough writer to do anything like that. (laughs) Like, no. (laughs) I thought about, like, kind of telling the tale of Coyote Moore and Horsefly Dress, but um, I don't want to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I also know that it varies, so I encourage you to look it up and to look up Heather Cahoon's like interviews talking about it. So she also uses Salish in here, which is honestly why I put off doing this book for a long time because 
Um, yeah, I'm not really good at reading poems aloud anyways and then add another language. And so, But I think it's super cool that uh, she's keeping that language alive. Mm-hmm. And here's a quote um, she said, just from an interview with our radio here, Montana, MTPR. As a result, my decision to include Salish in my poems was very intentional and serves a sort of dual purpose. On a basic level, it connects it connects to my community and reaffirms those ties, but it also calls attention, at least momentarily, to American Indians generally, and by extension, the settler colonial history of America. This is why I say that the use of Salish is an act of reclaiming space not only as a presence on a physical land where Salish-speaking people have been living for thousands of years, but the non-physical landscapes as well, including the broader American psyche and the mainstream narratives that have largely omitted tribal people. And she's so right. So, Mm -hmm. really cool. Did you hear that scream? I did. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) I live in the basement, (laughs) y'all. She lives in a basement, and that is a very normal family living above her. Just a child screaming during play, I assume. Not, I live in a basement, and people are being murdered right next to me. Right. Yeah. I'm sure you'll cut all that out, but. (laughs) For sure. I love the idea of people doing research and still being, like, creatively motivated. You know, I feel like research is seen as such a clinical practice and it's like it doesn't have to be like it's a methodical practice but it doesn't have to be like sterilized and boring me too it's so empowering to take some of that information too and turn it into something like that's digestible in a different way Mm -hmm. like so cool um and this is another quick quote so there are lots and lots of very old coyote stories in my tribe including going back to the creation of the world. But there are only a few stories about Coyote's children. So I'm using his children, mostly horse by dress, to tell the stories of my own more recent history of today. Um, okay, I'm going to try the best I can with the Salish words. Okay. Okay, Coyote in the Grass. It was divided into two sections. When the West surged into the center of the world, The word pulled back into heavy, honey-yellow lines and scarlet patches drawn across the slight shoulders of certain blackbirds. But reality rubs raw the wounds of all stories until the scoured bones of self-evidence are all that's left. Battling inside this orbed shell of space, we find stories are no different from other living forms. The ragged haired aligned with every primal instinct to avoid demise. Consider Coyote, headbone raised to greet the night song through black tree moss like witch's hair. He delivers a message bound in the body of unwritten texts. Like birds, ring necked and refined, his cries confirm the unbelievable. Two. And also, between un-and-believable, there's a dash. I count the breaths between bodies, each syllable's thrust from the chest, from Salish to English and back, Francis to Clara, 
Antone, Etwan, Malisupi, through Supi, Pale, back to Ixalis, or Shining Shirt, the medicine person who saw men in long robes, the sign of the cross, saw it all flung into being when, and slurred double whistles on the midwinter cusp of forest and field, a black-capped chickadee saying the shadow sounds of his name. But even before that, the forest stood smoldering, apparitions with arms raised toward the sky. There's so much, like, color and... I don't know. Also, the thing I jotted down was self-evidence from the first part. Because it's like, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And it's like, how were those words used to steal? And yeah. Um, I don't know. know. what? I never noticed that before. That's such a good, that's so true. That's definitely like, yeah, a reclaiming. Mm Mm-hmm. I also or just a calling out. Yeah, sorry. I felt like a lot of the imagery was like admiring and like communing with nature and then like especially the part about like the sign of the cross, like all of that just feels very performed. Like it felt very performative in the second half where mm-hmm. it's or not yeah. like it felt performative, but it was like there was that difference in tone between like looking at nature to like looking at this, I guess like specific actions and performance. There is a big change in tone. Yeah, the medicine person who saw men in long robes, the sign of a cross, saw it all flung into being when, and slurred double whistles on the midwinter cusp of forest and field. A black-capped chickadee sang the shadow sounds of its name. Like, singing the shadow sounds of your name. Or even just looking at the shadow of anything. Yeah, there's... Yeah. Or even just that action of, like, instead of being able to look at, like, what's around you and has kind of, you know, always been there and that you're, you respect nature and see, like, the soul and spirit and everything to then, like... I don't know. I know this is my pessimism and like (laughs) whatever, but it's almost like it feels so like the soul is way different in the second part. Like the first part, it's almost like, I mean, there's like a hint of foreboding with like the emphasis on red and like, especially the red on the backs of the birds, but like the shadows, like you said, and then just like the, it feels like an invasion. Yeah. It, it's like this part ke- keeps coming back to me. The stories are no different from other living forms. Mm-hmm. The ragged haired aligned with every primal instinct to avoid demise. It's because like in Western American colonial culture, we don't think of like animals as having stories really. Yeah like that or being a story that can teach us something but she's like stories are stories are stories mm-hmm. and stories die it's kind of what i feel like you're saying you know yeah yeah if you let them 
But then also the what what is the part where she talks about like going from this to Salish to this? What's that line again? Um, I count the breasts between bodies, each syllable thrust from the chest, from Salish to English and back. Because that's almost like a story that she really doesn't want to die. Is right the language. Right. Well, I miss talking about poetry with you. <laughs> it's a lot to sit with. Um, and to do the thing I'm not supposed to do. It's also like, it can be kind of hard to be like on first listen to then suddenly be like, here are all of my thoughts. I keep thinking back to like my AP lit class where it was like, here's a poem, sit with it for four fucking hours and mark it up with your pen. And you're just like, there are E's everywhere. What's going on? Oh, she also at the end of the book has a, um, glossary of salish words which is really cool oh yeah it's so wild to me though because like when i read this book like these are all places i know now and like in a way it's made me realize like montana has become a home of sorts for me it makes me just reckon with a lot of things yeah okay well i'm gonna read this very short poem that i taught in a class the other day and i really do like um it's called shelter We wove hip-high field grass into tunnels, knotting the tops of bunched handfuls, the drooping heads tied together. My seven siblings and I sheltered ourselves inside these labyrinths in a galaxy of grasses. Oh, wow. It's kind of like uncomplicated in a child Mm -hmm. way, but I'm going to read it one more time. Shelter. We wove hip-high field grass into tunnels, knotting the tops of bunched handfuls, the drooping heads tied together. My seven siblings and I sheltered ourselves inside these labyrinths and a galaxy of grasses. So the first time you read it, I was thinking, like, really tall grasses and, like, walking through them. But then Mm -hmm. on the second read, I picked up, it was like, oh, it's hip-high grasses. So they're just, like, they're creating, like, little cocoons for themselves. And, like, the galaxy of grasses makes me think of, like, when you, you know, as a city kid, like, you'd go and lay outside and, like, finally see the stars and, like, just lay and admire the stars kind of thing. And hearing myself read it made me realize, like, She's really saying, like, the land is the only shelter, the only real shelter, you know? Yeah. Like, not houses or anything. Like, I don't know if her and her siblings are sheltering themselves from, like, an actual house or not. But I think either way, like, all kids turn, a lot of kids turn to nature in some sort of way. <laughs> yeah, like, that's so true. Yeah. Oh, I found I that poem. Do you want Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you found the poem? Okay. I was just going to say, I don't want to, like, spoil the poem shelter with, like, just rambling on. I just feel like... I know. Yeah. (laughs) It is what it is. Um, Yeah, I think think poems like that kind of open up our own experiences, too, which I like. Okay, so this is a dream poem. So, A Dream of Black Water. 
A sun-grayed dock, wood swollen, splintered by heat and rain, stretches to the middle of an expanse of black water. At its end, a wooden shack sits atop a meager floating deck, where I stand, watching my baby crawl toward me. I glance up to see two of my husband's friends walking out toward us. When I hear my baby fall into the water, glimpse him disappearing into the darkness. Should I jump in after him? I wonder, panic-laced, my body, throat, knowing I will be disoriented, knowing I will lose this perspective from above where I can pinpoint the exact location I last saw him. I want my husband's friends to come help, to come and help. I want to direct them to the place he disappeared, but they are too far away. Indecision erodes as I recall that a baby submerged in water will always hold its breath. Peering into the dark water, I make out my son's tiny body facing down slowly, rising towards the surface. He is not frantic, not thrashing, not resisting. Caught in calmness, he gradually ascends until he is within arm's reach. I pull him from the water and hold him to me as I stand up and look around. Drought has killed everything as far as I can see on every side of the black lake. Stark golden desert unfolds its glistening sand, formed by the wind into endless wave-like hills. This is just one of the strangest and memorable things for me, and I just think about it sometimes. That whole thing just made me think, like, what you think will kill you is not going to kill you. Hot take by Erica. (laughs) Coming in hot. It's it's like your first reaction is, oh my God, that's a baby. That baby's going to drown. But then there's like that nature, like knowledge of nature of like, no, babies like instinctively aren't going to like open their breath and gasp underwater at a certain age. And then realizing that like when you step back from that, the darkness, the black, the fear of drowning, the water, whatever. You're like, oh, wait. <laughs> Everything is fucked. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like everything we're living in now <laughs> above the water. Yeah. Is everything way we've done. Everything we've done. Wow. Yeah. Well, if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> What's that? It's a TikTok sound. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like, what philosopher says that? <laughs> TikTok, though. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, I don't know, it's kind of like a horror poem. Like, it's yeah. like, like, if I had that nightmare, I would not want to sleep for several days. Like, that just feels yeah chilling. Yeah. Just, yeah, it brings out an instinct in you, especially, I don't know, like, I imagine if I had a kid, like, the first thing, yeah, I would want to do is just dive. Mm-hmm. Right in. And you should hear her read it, too. She just reads it with, like, such calmness that it's, like, so ominous. Like, yeah. so, so ominous. Um, But I super recommend this, this book. I feel like um, she might be a little more, like, famous in this part of the world or u.s 
but I really hope um, people continue to read her book all over. Uh, she's so cool and an incredible writer. So, Horsefly Dress. Check it out, y'all. Um, so, this week's girl crush from me, Erica, is Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, because she is one of my favorite writers. I was first introduced to her stuff through the Wizard of Earthsea series, which is technically categorized as a like youth novel, like a YA series. But um, she is well known for her science fiction writing and was very popular in the 70s, although she continued writing throughout her life and she's even written some poetry i haven't read any of it but um she has written some poetry but for example wizard of earthsea she made the main character a person of color and also had like a very strong female lead who escapes uh religious trauma in her life which is Mm -hmm. very cool um but also i just like that She's very, like, even back in, like, the 70s and 80s, was very anarchist, very feminist, very questioning of society, um, and utilized the themes that are typical in science fiction instead of just being, like, be wary of AI technology in, like, a war of the world's way. She was, like, be wary of the like people who wield technology be wary of the systems that oppress us and the like um, barriers that we place on those who are different from us and she's been top of mind lately because i finally read a book by her called left hand of darkness which is about an androgynous planet and where people um take on a sex in order to procreate but only in that sense and so it really explored like how men and women are put into their different roles and how society benefits from those roles because it oppresses people was that good was it good it was really good yeah and um it's from the written from the perspective of a person who comes from a planet similar to our planet so like people have the binary genders um but then he goes to a planet where they only enter uh, a male or female state during a specific time in order to procreate and so it was very interesting and then i read another book by her called changing that book was left hand of darkness and then i read another one called changing planes which is a bunch of little like mini stories about different planes of existence and I don't know. She's just great at world building and an amazing author. And I saw some of her poetry books in Avid the other day, and I really wanted to pick them up, but I didn't have enough money for it in the budget. So I'm going to buy them during my week off. Yeah. Woo. Damn, that sounds so interesting. Yeah. All right, y'all. This has been No Rhyme or Refill. It's been episode I don't remember what, because we're getting up there. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was what episode, episode 46. 40, 46? Oh, man. Yeah. It's episode 46. Okay. Follow us on Instagram at Noramarefill, or you can follow me, Erica, at Girl Meets Beer ATH. 
You can follow me, Alex, at AlexABC. Alex with a Y. Yeah. And that's all. That's it. Hang in there. Happy holidays. Yeah. Bye. Bye, books. <laughs> bye. <laughs> yeah, bye, books. Okay. Yeah. As usual, the outro is chaos.